Welcome to the Pinky Talk podcast. I'm Eva Lansucht, a professor in civil engineering and blogger on the side. And I am Philip Cresswell, an incoming assistant professor in sociology, a recovering PhD student and writer at large. In this podcast, we talk about PhD research and interview current PhD candidates as well as those who work closely with them. I hope you stick around. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PhD Talk podcast. This is episode 116 and today we're going to talk about grant writing. And with that very brief introduction, I'll turn it over to you, Phil. So let's talk about grant writing because I think that uh, one of the things that uh, I've actually thought about quite a lot is whether or not PhD students shouldn't actually get kind of a bit more education uh, in this um, mm -hmm. because it becomes such an important part of of what you actually end up having to do in a faculty position yeah. uh, and actually maybe even more importantly in a postdoc position. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I figured we could start with just by asking you your experience of getting funding, what uh, kind of grants you've gotten, where you've gotten them from. And sure. So let me start by saying a bit about the research funding that I have in the Netherlands and that I have gotten in the past. The vast majority of my funding in the Netherlands has come from the Ministry of Infrastructure and the Environment, as I've been mostly working on projects that directly relate to their infrastructure. So many of our projects deal directly with a certain type of bridge or a certain type of tunnel, for example, and then we everything that's theoretical, we do Of, we still do the theoretical work, but the funding is essentially to come up with recommendations for the owner of the infrastructure. And my PG project was funded that way. Um, the vast majority of the projects that I worked on during my postdoc were funded like that. And the, all the funding that I have at this moment in the Netherlands is from the ministry as well. I only once had a project from an institute called InfraQuest, which is essentially uh, Tia Delft working together with TNO, which is a research institute and the Ministry of Infrastructure and the Environment. So that's kind of the yeah. farthest away from ministry funding that I have gone in the Netherlands. I've also applied at some point for EU funding um, in the Netherlands under my... Uh, Uh, Dutch affiliation, and that was not successful. Um, I've applied for EU funding under my Ecuadorian affiliation and took a few tries, and that project now started in March. That was a, a successfully funded Horizon 2020 project. The other type of funding that I have had in Ecuador are small funds from the university. They are called polygrants. They're grants from the Polytechnico, which is a polytechnic school, as a kind of internal funding, which essentially allows us to get some equipment for the laboratory, maybe hire a research assistant at times and um, get some travel expenses reimbursed. That's uh, about the, what we can do with the Polygrants. Um, I'm at the moment working on another type of application, and that's a It's called Poligrante Vinculación con la Industria, and it's essentially one of these grants where you are looking to work together with a company, and the company puts about 50% of the funding, and the university puts 50%. And I've also had 
collaboration grants in the past, which are also over university. Um, and that's essentially for collaborations with researchers from outside. Um, other than that, failed, failed attempts. I, at some point, tried to get funding from the United Kingdom, from the Royal Society. That was also some kind of collaboration grant, small, a small grant for uh, collaborating with a colleague in the UK that unfortunately um, did not go through. And I also, at some point, there was funding from the Ecuadorian government. At this moment, there's just nothing um, because the country is pretty much in shambles. Um, but at some point, there was a bit more uh, attention to higher education and there was this call for proposals called Inedita and I applied together with a colleague from another university and a colleague in Spain we were not successful we did get like an, a good score but just uh, just not not enough to, to get the funding um, but afterwards it's kind of it's not too bad that we didn't get the grant because then I heard from colleagues who who actually got that grant that they had run into expenses and they never got them reimbursed because then mm. there were changes within the government institution and they never got uh, the money that they spent reimbursed. So maybe better that didn't go through. And where did you learn to start writing grants? Were you Did you have like a, um, a mentorship? Sure. So I totally learned everything from the person who was my daily supervisor during my PhD and then was my postdoc supervisor. Um, I Many times I, I, I had uh, mental music playing the uh, L'Apprenti Sortier of uh, uh, the, 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 the one of the, the, the wizard who is uh, learning. And I always felt like that when I was walking behind him, like I'm, I'm the, I just need the, the, the hat and I, I'm the, I really, really felt like having that apprentice relationship with my daily supervisor. And he um, he's also been the person who has opened doors for me with the ministry and mm. first putting me on projects for which he got the funding and then helping me write grants and bit by bit kind of passing his legacy on to me. So I... Mm. I really had that very close working relationship with him and kind of still, he's retired by now, but whenever I go to the Netherlands, I still see him and uh, still have, uh, uh, like he, he has always given me very good advice. So he's kind mm -hmm. of the person who, who has been really the, the advisor and the uh, teacher in the, in the broad sense of the world. And I mean, that sounds really important. Um, how important has the grading been in the in the feedback? Do, have you actually ever sort of followed the advice and then gotten funding, or is it the kind of thing where it feels a bit like a crapshoot? Yeah, so that's an interesting question because I will answer that from the perspective of the European funding, where there's uh, you get the detailed feedback and the grading on the different parts. Uh, when it comes to the grants then and the funding that I have with the ministry, typically we have because they have these pressing issues to solve, we typically get to the point of an agreement after verbal conversations on, we find this really important. Can you add this in? Um, this is a bit too much. Don't 
we cannot fund that part of the experiments that you want to do and we come to sort of an agreement. Um, but with the European funding, so the project that ultimately got funded, got funded in the third trial. Um, so in, I think the first round, it was on the waiting list and it had, like, there was some useful feedback in there. In the second round, we incorporated the feedback. And I think at that point, it didn't make it to the waiting list. So at that point, I thought, okay, it's probably probably not going to go anywhere from here. But then uh, at some point, the colleagues leading the effort said, mm, we can make a few changes and try again. And then it got funded. So it's a bit of a lottery in the end sometimes to see there's so little difference between a, a 12 over 15 and a 13 over 15 in that grading, but you add things up and you're either just in or on the waiting list or just not in because there are so many people applying. There's that uh, the, the one point makes such a difference. Whereas for the person grading the proposal, maybe they, they think, well, it's 12 or well, it's 13. It doesn't make that much of a difference to them. No, I was thinking about this when, um, you know, a, a colleague of mine was talking about getting the feedback back from a from a postdoc application. But I mean, well, it's a postdoc uh, stipend that you can get. Um, it's sort of the big prestigious one from, um, I don't know what the translation is, but Vietenskops rolled it. So VR, which is, um, and there there is a sort of sense of like, uh yeah, they, they give you the grades on academic, like on, on quality and all these sorts of things. And I sat there and I thought, well, so this is where we still get our grades after <laughs> after all the courses are done, where you really want to get that A. Um, but the, the stakes are a little bit higher. Um, but I was just wondering what, you know, whether those are consistent, because these boards also have shifting membership and shifting standards, and then you don't know who you're competing with. Um, so it, it does seem a little bit like a, a process that can take in a mighty long time. It's difficult to get this type of funding. You know, you have like some of these programs, you have a 2% chance and you are competing and competing is kind of an ugly word here, but people are reviewing applications then are going from baby hearts to, you know, me and my boring concrete bridges. So there's often as well that feeling of my research is doesn't call the attention right away. Um, so to come up with something that is exciting for the reviewers to say is, is perhaps a bit more difficult in, in something like civil engineering yeah. than tends to be less innovative. Though I think that in, in something like sociology, if you, um, I was looking at the, so not the, the postdoc side, but just the normal kind of VR, big VR grants in sociology, and those appear to be deeply trend-driven. Um, and I think that that's actually quite discouraging for some people because, you know, now everything is AI now, or it's these sorts of, these sorts of things, which means that people who are doing really solid, um, meaningful research, but who are not on the cutting edge of whatever that thing is, 
um, don't seem like they have much of a shot at that money. And that's the best money you can get in Sweden, right? I mean, that's or some of the best. So there is a, also an aspect of that where, um, you know, where the creativity, creativity cuts or well, sort of the creativity, the way that you, you grab the, the imagination of, uh, of the funding body seems to cut hard for everybody. Um, but I don't know that that necessarily is the best for, for quality. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, yeah, we could, we could, we could potentially talk about that at some point, these studies that suggest that literally randomly doling out money to academics may be a better funding mechanism than giving it to people who have previously been successful. Um, but I guess that doesn't really help us right now. So let's try to focus on practical, practical things that can help us such as, um, so, so we have kind of a list of, um, best practices here. And I was thinking that maybe you could just walk me through your thinking about, uh, about these things. Sure. So yeah, in preparation for this episode, we uh, kind of made a list of some of the best practices and, the first one that I put there is to try various funding sources. So you may be um, looking for funding. If you're trying to go after, for example, European funding, you know the chances are low. So you kind of want to as well try something maybe smaller that chances are higher that you will ultimately get something from it. Um, along the same lines is to try both personal grants and consortium grants where you work together with other universities or industry partners or research institutes into a sort of larger application. Um, and kind of the other level of variety then I put in there is to think about opportunities nationally and internationally. It's not impossible to get the types of funding that have a low percentage of, uh, of, of applications that get granted, such as uh, the Horizon 2020 European Union funding. Um, the curious thing here about European funding is, at least in my field, it's also not the best funded type of funding. They don't give that much money for experiments. So if I want to go and make bridge pieces and destroy them in a controlled manner in the laboratory, then EU funding is not going to be my best bet, but it's good for your resume to have a European project. Mm. If you're going to go for these larger grants, um, what has helped me is to work with other people that have already experience in getting this type of yeah. funding. So to kind of uh, serve get a get a right with uh, people who have more experience and um, also to learn from the experience of your colleagues and there's a, a tip that I heard from one of my colleagues here at universities that in his department they keep a folder with all the proposals that they've written in the past years funded and not funded and rejected and the ones that they get feedback with all the information and somebody who's preparing to write uh, a grant can go browse the folder and see what's in there and what has worked and what the reviewers have said of it and and get some get some inspiration on what works and what hasn't worked. Um, so that's that's kind of a perhaps a nice tip. And besides your colleagues, you also have of course the grant writing office at your university that can help with going through it, giving you tips, polishing it putting in the buzzwords that give you higher chances. And, and 
yeah, mm. be more successful. And do you have uh, experience with with those, um, like with a grant writing office? I, personally, I don't have. Um, for the funding that I have in the Netherlands, I I was looking into funding of the um, Dutch National Science Foundation. I guess that's what it translates into. And that's where typically the grant writing office helps people with. But you need to be at least 0.6 FTE full-time equivalents at a Dutch university to be considered. And I'm 0.4, so I don't, uh, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a candidate for that type of funding. How does sort of CV and experience play into this? Um, should early career scholars be trying to focus almost exclusively on early career uh, kinds of grants or, or um, only trying to get these bigger, more prestigious grants in tandem uh, with, with somebody else in the consortium? Like how, how do you think, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think both. I think when you are working consortium, you will be um, essentially somebody else will take the lead, right? Uh, universities that already have established collaborations will take the lead and you can kind of uh, tack on and uh, and bring in your expertise, but they would be driving the bus in that case. And if it works, it works. And and if not, you you learn from the experience of, of being in touch with them and and uh, uh, have these pre discussions and and getting to know some new colleagues. Um, but where you can really be in the driver's seat is the perhaps a personal grant for early career scholars, where you have you really can do your own thing and you don't need to show previous collaborations as they ask for, for a lot of the European funding. Mm. How do you know when to quit an idea? That's a great question. Um, sometimes, especially when it comes to these EU type of grants, you they want something new and innovative. So after a few years, it's kind of already not so new anymore. So you kind of have to come up with something fresher. So I think after two, three trials, that's pretty much when when it kind of expires and when you think, okay, this is not something that is going to get funded. Um, when it comes to, for me personally, things that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a matter of packaging. So especially in my field where often if it's, for example, with the ministry, I have to you know, the funding has to answer a practical question of a particular type of bridge so that it's applicable to the infrastructure directly. But I may have my theoretical questions on what happens if I change this parameter. I have ideas about that. I have models, but I really would like to see this type of specimens tested to really know what's going to happen. And actually, um, this month we'll get specimens that it fits within a current project. But I've been triggered and curious on what happens to these since my PhD, because that's something that came out at the end. Like it would be really cool if we could test things that have that parameter as a variable. And at that point, the, the questions on this type of bridges were answered, but now we're looking at something else and how to test these bridges, um, how to low test them in practice as a method for assessing them. And now the question is again, well, how does 
the ones that are skewed, which is the parameter that I'm interested in, these skewed bridges, what are they going to do? And using this sort of new angle, I could work in this type of specimens that I've been wanting to test for more than 10 years and, and finally got them uh, got to the point of getting this skewed slab test funded. Um, so sometimes it's it's fine to sit on an ID for a long while and to you know be interested in it and then kind of pull it out of your hat when you think there is a, a way to to package it in in a way that gets can get funded. Mm. Yeah, the thing that I keep thinking is that there must be a strategic way to think about sequencing these, right? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. the research, the ideally, of course, the research that you're doing justifies new grants. Um, yeah. But I, I wonder how much of that is, is true, because I've also heard sort of through the grapevine that some people will actually land in a bit of a cycle where they start new projects on old grant money then mm-hmm. use the use some preliminary stuff as the basis for seeking money so that you are always have so you always have money but you're not necessarily always doing the research that you know what I mean and i think that, that is a mm-hmm. i think that's a, a, almost a bit crazy that the system is sort of set up in such a way to be successful yeah. doing that and so i'm i'm curious if um, yeah i'm just sort of curious about um, about how we can approach that I think a lot depends as well on what the expectations are. Mm-hmm. So here in Ecuador, my my position is as it is. I don't have to pay myself out of my project, right. um, which is which gives me more liberty to pursue things that I find interesting and that nobody wants to fund yeah. because they are too theoretical and not applied enough. Um, whereas in, in the Netherlands, I need to have at least 75% of my hours um, booked on my projects. Uh, so that leaves less room for just hobbies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but here in Ecuador, I have, I have the liberty to, to do my hobbies. And I, I, I've just published a paper that's kind of coming out of a grant that I got in 2017. And of course that money is long since gone, but I kept kind of thinking about it and I couldn't figure it out yet. And I let it rest and then got back to it and then finally figured something out and, and ended up writing the paper. And that's not possible if you continuously have to be chasing new grants to pay yourself. Well, and I, I wonder whether or not that doesn't also sort of affect creativity because I think that um, we often do our best creative work when we're relaxed, contrary to popular belief that pressure is going to to actually make it better. Um, it is uh, it is actually sort of a sense of security that seems to to um, cause a good creative or allow for good creative work. And and one of that was the first thing that a colleague said to me when I got my position. She said. Oh, now you have it. Basically, now you have the luxury of applying without having to fund yourself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because then you can apply differently. And I that really struck me because she had been going through the process of having to fund herself and living and dying with each rejection, in a way. I think so. So there is a. I think that that is a part of this where where it. There's a privilege to having 
that kind of situation, like you have in Ecuador, and like I'm going to have, um, where you, where of course grants are important. They want you to be doing research, but uh, it is not the end of your world if you if you don't uh, if you don't get it. So so that is um, yeah. And the one thing that I wanted to say is just that you know you were talking a little bit about you know getting experience from your colleagues and the thing that i think is is important uh, just to bring up is like people actually will offer to help you even if you're not necessarily going to be uh working with them all the time if you're in a good department if you know good people and i think that that is kind of a you know they will offer to help they will read for you they will um help and i think that that's like just really really important uh, take them up on it. If someone says their door is open, show up. <laughs> um, I think that that's a, that's really, really important because it, they don't, people don't have to tell you that their door is open. <laughs> so, and that's maybe as well, something that's contrary to popular belief, right? You have this idea of the, the lonesome professor in his office with his tweed jacket and his elbow patches, uh, at midnight with his, uh, little, cup of scotch and working alone and doing things alone and surrounded by books and not humans. And mm. the reality is far from that. There's a lot of collaboration and learning from others. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that this was helpful for others. Uh, do you have any final, final thoughts here? What's the, what's the take home message from this podcast? I think the take home message is, it can be really hard to get funding, especially if it's European funding that has very low percentages. And it's not something to take personal if you are one of the 99 people who gets rejected. It's kind of the nature of the system. So don't let it discourage you. And hopefully your salary doesn't depend on it. Um, and if it does, then... Uh, hopefully, or you, you can see if there's uh, types of funding that can be that have higher percentages of 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 success to to get your work funded. All right, with that, we will round off our episode 116 on grant writing. Um, we'll be back next week with more on PhD life and research mechanics. Thank you so much for listening.